Welcome to River Do's and River Don'ts Season 2. That is, Riverdale Season 2 and us talking nonsense about it. I'm Rob. I'm Quinn. And I'm Kat. Yeah! Holy crap, you guys! We have a we have a third host for this season. Someone who ostensibly knows what they're doing. Oh, yeah, that's not, o- not, not only, true. Not only a more impressive and professional podcaster than either of us, and, and we can throughout this season enjoy the dulcet tones of her denying all the praise that we heap on her mm. and also <laughs> someone who knows what the hell she's talking about when it comes to Archie Comics which is going to bring an interesting perspective I would say because we've just been shrugging about things for a season of this show I've read some Archie in my day I would not say that I know what the hell I'm talking about I'll put it that I way I mean that's some Archie on what I've got <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to join this. I'm very excited to have an outlet to talk about my love for this show. This exquisite trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank us. No, thank you. I believe that it was you and maybe Quinn talking about Riverdale on Twitter that convinced me to even look at it and, you know, plug my nose and dive into that trash pile, and I found it quite enjoyable. Oh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm very glad. I'm very glad that there is um that I managed to drag people into it with my constant plugging of uh, CoverGirl products. Mm-hmm. Cat, the Riverdale <laughs> Dianoga. <laughs> uh, yeah. So how do we how do we do this? R- uh, Riverdale season well, two, episode one. This week we are talking about Riverdale season two, episode one, chapter fourteen, A Kiss Before Dying. Directed by Robert Seidenglanz and written by Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. Who I just realized while watching this season is like literally in charge of Archie Comics. That guy. In charge of Archie Comics. Oh. The bigwig. Perhaps not a money bigwig, but a creative... Uh, he's the chief creative officer, which is a lovely title, I think, for for a dude to have. The powerhouse behind Archie Comics. Yes. Yes. So that makes the actually the bizarreness of the adaptive choices in this even more weird in a certain way, because it's not like they're just taking the names of things and making a weird ass, completely different show out of it, which is what I assumed for the entire first season. <laughs> See, but no, this is a this is a legitimate the expert on Archie Comics is like, yeah, it's going to be, you know, Twin Peaks and uh, old horror movies. Oh, that's interesting. That's what Archie is. It's always felt very intentional to me, partially because this isn't like the first adaptive thing that they've done. Um, this has always felt very much like the um, Archie zombie comics that they put out a while back, which were adaptive and beautifully divergent. And so see... Already, your perspective is paying off because <laughs> you you know that this is a thing that Archie Comics does is capable of. Yeah. We're like, there's a thing called Archie Comics. I'm told, right, right. Um, actually, they published the Sonic the Hedgehog super long running comic, didn't they? Yeah, Which they means did. That I've actually read hundreds of issues of Archie Comics as a child. Right. Yeah. That yeah, they did up until recently have... when they uh, they have now lost that license. Well, I. Sonic needs to retire and go through a lot of therapy. Yeah, he really uh, does. With what the fandom has done to him. Poor Sonic. Uh, yeah, just a quick random plug for the Mixed Six podcast that Caleb Stokes and Spencer Harris do, where they review six beers and have six conversations. They did a fantasy mock draft of shipping pairings, mm-hmm. and Caleb's top pick was a polyamorous asexual triad between Sonic the Hedgehog and the Winchester brothers from oh, Supernatural. No. Oh, oh my. Uh, Boy, I mean... Because cause... they need someone to just heal with, and I thought that that was <laughs> fucking brilliant. That is... Uh, after all that has been done to them... They all just a... Uh, just a hurt th- They all need Netflix and actually yeah. chill. Yeah. 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 Um... I mean, if you want a relationship that is mostly hurt, I will give a just quick plug to the trifecta that is Knuckles the Echidna, Rouge the Bat, and Shadow the Hedgehog. It's a good all relationship. Pain, all the time. Look, it's good. Okay, you guys need to stop talking about this now, though, because you're going to pull me back into something <laughs> from my past. <laughs> I'm a busy man. 
<laughs> we can't go can down this road eat, again. <laughs> I can Rob only eat so shuffling. much trash, and I'm eating so much maple syrup-soaked trash right now because of you two. <laughs> you can't hide those piles of religiously themed Sonic the Hedgehog fan art forever, Rob. Oh, God. Okay, back to this chapter yes. of Archie Comics. Yes, indeed, indeed. I'm going to have to cut you off there for a second, Rob. We should introduce, uh-huh. as we always do, the format of the show. Oh, you're fucking right. So, as we get into season two, we will remind you, as always, of our show's format. We're going to do a quick synopsis, which Rob is going to take care of, and then we're going to tell you our River Do's, our favorite thing about this episode of Riverdale, our River Don't, our least favorite thing about this episode of Riverdale, and our weekly weird that is the thing in this episode that most completely, inexplicably blew our gourd out. Just right out. Just right out. There's no more gourd. That being said, how about you take it away, Rob? We pick up directly on the heels of the sudden, brutal, emotionally manipulative, and somewhat narratively cheap cliffhanger ending of season one, with Archie rushing his dad to the hospital. And I feel like the intensity of this scene is undercut somewhat by the bizarre omniscience of the Jughead narration that is in present tense almost. Like, it's very immediate in a way that we haven't done before. But then it really quickly reins itself in and becomes a normal noir narration again. Uh, It just started out on a real weird foot. We get a dream sequence then from Fred's perspective with some very on-the-nose dialogue about dying or not dying and being there for people and stuff like that and he seems really focused on being there for Archie uh, in his subconscious which is very Fred Andrews then we go and see Alice oh Alice oh Alice so there's this thing that happens in let's say the Metroid video game series where Samus somehow doesn't have any of her power-ups at the beginning of each game. Somehow she just loses all of them so that she has to go get them again. My theory is that Alice had this happen to her character development between seasons one and two. Oh, I mean, she does just sort of jump right into things. Knives out. Just being just being Alice, really. She's practically holding up a banner that says, I learned nothing. We really saw her improve a bit in season one and they were like well can't have that we need more conflict so she's just gonna be back to alice again just like like she's not even gonna be like the modulated terrible that she was by the end of the season where she like sort of realizes that maybe she's been no, a little much she's back to like no no no. she's she's back at peak... episode one of season one i was thinking peak episode four season one where she somehow <laughs> turned <laughs> statutory rape into a problem about her yeah oh god like, I blocked that out. Yeah, she's waiting (laughs) hard into this. But yeah, she basically rushes head on into a tangle of what I would call judgmental nonsense, tortured metaphors, and an escape from New York reference (laughs) that I can only assume followed her home and she had to keep. (laughs) Oh, Oh my God. We then cut to Veronica doing rich person expensive things. And then finally everybody gets together at the hospital. And... Everyone's sort of waiting to hear what's going on with Fred, and we managed to even hit this sort of supportive, group, loving tone until Alice remembers that Jughead is in the room and tries to kill him with eye lasers and then remembers how much she likes doing kind of baseless classism things. Is this around doing some of those. in here? Did um, did, did Juggy call Archie Pureheart the Powerful? Did that happen around here? I think um, so. Yeah. That sounds familiar. That was very exciting to me because... I assume that's a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, in the comics, uh, Archie is sometimes, in Divergent spinoffs and things, a legitimate superhero. I'm not shocked. Yeah. Uh, and when he is, he is called Pureheart the Powerful. So that oh, ham-fisted weird part beautiful. bit of dialogue was a reference to that. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about Riverdale. You can't tell. <laughs> you can't, like, you without, just with can't the, tell. Without the context, you can't tell if something is a reference that's been wedged in or a little bit harder than necessary or if that's just how they dialogue. write it because it's super weird. What's going uh-huh. on here? Yeah. Yeah. Archie then meets with Sheriff Keller and he leaves out the fact that Hermione Lodge fired the serpents from his dad's construction crew because he has his friends back. And that's very, that's a big thing, I think, like that he is 
messing around with law enforcement. He is choosing good over order in this situation, which I would expect is sometimes hard for him. Yeah, I will say that this season continues to completely fail to endear me to the police in Riverdale. While interestingly enough, as we'll, we'll talk about this later, endearing me a hell of a lot to Sheriff Keller as a human being and a father. Yeah. Mm. But not as a person doing a good job in his career. Yeah. Uh, very specific. Ditto. Yeah. We get some expected character development from Veronica that she doesn't like dealing with heavy emotional stuff, but is going to try. For Archie's sake and for the sake of her friends. Good good Veronica. And she enlisting the things that she is good at, in contrast to heavy emotional stuff, ha. lists one of her talents as, quote, dropping vintage bon mots as if they were bonbons. Bonbons, good job, famously, <laughs> are things that one drops, I guess. You haven't lived until you've dropped a couple bonbons, Rob. Yeah, I... <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> no one in the room reacts to this and asks her if she smells anything <laughs> funny or if she <laughs> is having any kind of disorientation. So I guess this is just Riverdale. Jughead, in what I would call a major show of maturity, agrees to look into what the serpents are up to. Like, he wants to believe that they're not involved, but he's going to make sure for his friend. And I like that. I also like the idea of him sort of shaking the serpent's tree and see what falls out as a plot point for this season. I feel that that is very good. Fred has another dream sequence about how much he is not into dying, uh, <laughs> even though his subconscious is trying to tell him that dying would be great. But dying is presented as kind of scary, like sometimes they come back a uh, zombie scenario. So it's obvious that Fred is wanting not to go towards that light. It's a little much for Archie, and Veronica convinces him to go home and get a change of clothes at least, because he is literally covered in dad blood. Oh, yeah. Um, they have a dog walk, and it's a dog walk and talk. In a stunning turn of events for season two, they do character development on this walk and talk that is tied to the current plot of this episode of Riverdale. Rather than a bizarre metatextual anvil-dropping symphony. Yeah, I mean, especially for a walk and talk with Veronica, it did not get incredibly meta. They were, she did like, not show metatextual awareness of like, yeah. hey, this is my character arc, and this is where I'm at, so... I mean, yeah, shit, season one walk and talk with Veronica was like our first sign, I think, really, of just how weird the show was going to be. It wasn't just a lot of book references. No, it was like, hey, we're going to take Vegas and go talk, be teenagers talking about our lives. About the thing that is happening now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. Not a single mention of Holden Caulfield the whole walk. Nope. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Or Truman Capote. Fair. There was a lot of Truman Capote. A whole lot, out. yeah. So Jughead goes to a character whose name I've forgotten, who I will simply say is the most stereotypical bikerman <laughs> that they can find. Oh, His yeah. glorious uh, just, beard! He's got a yes. beard. Oh, my God. He's just yeah, a classic uh, serpent. For those of you lacking the visual reference of having been on any of our Twitters or anything, this dude is the larger and like he's like the digivolved version of me. Oh, man. Uh, wearing biker clothes. <laughs> it's like they gave you a bike oh. chain and fused you. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. they turned you into a bad boy. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's bad boy AU Rob right there. <laughs> <laughs> And so Jughead goes to this dude and is like, all right, we need to figure out what's going on and if anyone in our crew could have possibly been to blame for this. And Bikerman gives him a knowing look and basically agrees. And I'm sure that that'll be fine and that nothing bad will happen. Archie, who has clearly been doing a lot of bench pressing and peck work since season one, Jesus Christ, uh, has shower sex with Veronica. Oh, yeah. Plot point. That scene. I forgot about um, that. Shit. I know you're very, very scared about your dad right now, but it's time. Yeah, don't worry. I will <laughs> I will not miss shirtless Archie plot points. You'll notice this about me. <laughs> um, um, I mean, I might have been bad at being like a horny teenager because I was bad at that, but that just felt like read the room, Veronica. Uh Oh, well, that, okay, that just didn't... just to prov mm -hmm. to provide a voice, six hundred percent would have at that age. 
Well, yeah, that actually didn't strike me as that bad because there are lots of different ways to provide comfort. So that's sort of like... That's also true. Yeah, people get weird about sex and death specifically, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say, though, the thing that weirded me out about about that scene is that unless Veronica was getting ready to turn around like two seconds after the scene cut, the way that they were doing that was going to be a hospitalization waiting to happen. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. That is not how you fuck in the shower, kids. Like, seriously, you will fall and hurt yourself very badly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's a <laughs> messy situation. The... Uh, Riverdale, next time, please let us know that there are a lot of handrails in the shower. Uh-huh. That's like the Batman v Superman course correct of just mentioning that the district is abandoned and that there aren't very many people <laughs> <laughs> so that they can destroy all the buildings. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, you I know, mean, all you uh, need to do it, is Every in shower in Riverdale has a bunch of uh, <laughs> a bunch of handrails, you know, just as you know, as you know, Bob, <laughs> uh, that would fix it, I guess. This is CW. They have dealings with DC. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, wow. We, we got a little out of the weeds on that. That's not that surprising. We then do a parallelism as Kevin asks for details on the Betty and Jughead thing and if they've been doing it. And Cheryl <laughs> does a full-on, no-holds-barred, supervillain catwalk entrance and ends up giving a deadpan this is definitely not what happened monologue about the circumstances of her mother's hideous burns. <laughs> I love we, her. We, we do fucking slow motion music sting. Clearly there's someone just off the frame with a huge fan blowing on her. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's magnificent. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but she's so confident. You can't question it. No. You can't not ask at all. any questions. No. You can't. Her mom's too bandaged. It's uh, true. <laughs> she's she's like, she looks like at least two of the universal monsters in this season. <laughs> and we will get back to them, and it just gets weirder. Archie and Veronica discover that Fred's wallet is missing. And Archie gets real moody and shitty and super realistic as a teen boy dealing with what he's dealing with and attempts to kick Veronica out and she makes good on her stated goal of character development. A plus Veronica refuses to leave because she's trying to be a good person and a good girlfriend and she knows that Archie needs to not be alone and even if it's just to yell at her, she's going to stay, uh, which was awesome. I think. Yeah, I thought it was well done. Mm-hmm. Good job, kids. You were you were teens being teens, but in a good way. And uh, Archie then, after collecting himself, does a lineup. And of course, they don't have the guy yet because it's episode one, guys. Come on. Then Veronica shows up at church where her mom is and just goes so hard. Just flat accuses her of contracting murder. And the Virgin Uh, Mary gives them both an MMA stare down look. (laughs) Seriously, pause it. Seriously, pause it. Look. What a good scene. Oh, my God. It was very good. It was very them. My best girls. You're going to have to do an in defense of Hermione Lodge at some point because she is not one of my best girls. Oh, I just adore her. God, yeah. Mm -hmm. Virgin Mary looks about as intimidating as like peak era crow cop <laughs> in like a pride fight <laughs> just dead stare like i will put you in the ground it was fantastic who made that statue give them more money <laughs> so we go back to the hospital again the pussycats are there and val's hair is magnificent much larger than it was in season one. And Archie decides to use the power of his pure heart to revive his father, <laughs> who is dreaming of Archie proposing to Veronica and rather of Archie telling him of the proposal at Pops. And Pops' dream sequence delivery of the line, well, 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 time dies, was legitimately good and creepy. And then you look down and there's blood all over him. I was like, wow, this is from a better show. (laughs) (laughs) That thing that sounds like the person said the line wrong and it does like a Freudian creepy thing, like that's straight out of Twin Peaks. And I was really into it. 
Betty and Jughead investigate Pops. And by the way, they victim blame a diner. A building is victim blamed in this episode. Well, this whole season so far seems to be deep into victim blaming Pops's diner. It's weird. Death diner. Graffitied on the... Yeah, great. <laughs> and, you know, we also have to point out the fact that Jughead, of course, is the patron saint of doomed local businesses. Yes. And Pops in this scene, gets about as dramatic as Jughead's opening narration, talking about the angel of death coming to Riverdale. And (laughs) Jughead does just the best and the most hypocritical lampshading of this. Because if there's one character who doesn't get to talk about phrasing things excessively dramatically, (laughs) it's Jughead, you guys. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that like it's in his writing, but it's not in his writing. That boy... Talks some noise. Yeah, and Pops talked about Angel of Death, and he's like, come on, Pops. And you're getting a little... Dr- I mean, like, Jughead, come Jughead, on. Like, Angel of Death, it was clearly it was a specter funny. of misery. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's probably better. They have some food, and... Uh, importantly, uh, Jughead eats a burger. Yeah, that's a thing that even I knew about the comics. Mm-hmm. It was very exciting well, for he... me, because he just never was does it? it. He never does yeah. it. Yeah. He at least talked about it in season one, but at least we finally see it happening. That's I think true. he did it. He he ate, I think, one last season. So it's just like, oh, right yeah. off the bat, he's eating one. Thank God. Right, he... Thank God. <laughs> Good job, Riverdale. Because there was a lot of scenes in Pops' last season with Jughead specifically, but he almost only ever seemed to have a cup of coffee with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was very personally yeah, I frustrating. We, I, I, I think we got it. I think we got his evening coffee work sessions rather than his afternoon burger binges. Mm-hmm. He did talk about becoming friends with Archie again as a thing that would happen over many nights and many burgers. Yes, he did. So uh, we at least referenced it, but it's good to see it happening. I have two questions for Cat about the comics. Mm-hmm. Question one. Yeah. Cat. Mm-hmm. Is my impression from cultural osmosis correct that Jughead is not as much hetero or bisexual as burger sexual in the comics yeah so he interesting a uh, jughead sexuality uh <laughs> people have lots of feelings about this because in the most recent made for adults archie comics he is asexual um like explicitly asexual which i think is a great direction to take it but that hasn't always been the case <laughs> historically he has been what they call a woman hater um he doesn't he gets icked out when girls kiss him and stuff. <laughs> right, like he's scared of cooties. Yeah, he's scared of cooties. Um, and he gets frustrated with everybody's romantic shenanigans. So he has at various times been a like a homosexual icon. Um, and that's been very important to people. Also, depending on the writer, he has had different heterosexual relationships. Um, okay. God. So it is a hundred times more complicated than I thought it yeah. was. Yes. Um. <laughs> um, it's like a very complicated thing because Archie is old, you know? Like, it's yeah. a very old thing that's like he and Veronica famously, famously hate each other, even though they are, I think, the like two most competent people in Riverdale. Yeah, and their friendship makes a ton of sense yes. in this show. Yeah, the, and um, they, my favorite, they're my two favorite characters. And mm. typically in the comics, they reach like an understanding and always like they get to feuding their feuding comics are really really fun um where they just like fuck over each other's lives but they also always stick up for each other it's like they they don't like each other and they mess with each other but if you if you hurt one of the others they're like oh fuck you and we'll turn on you instantly you know only i get to hurt them yeah they're siblings yes they have that sort of relationship but sometimes you'll have an author who will be like what if i shipped them um like dan parent did that a few years ago um and so again the this sort of like risk-taking really daring adaptive choices thing is part and parcel to the Archie Institute. It's all over the place. Yeah. This isn't new or weird to me. So I understand, like, if you see different parts of the fandom being like, Jughead's asexual and this is frustrating, I get it. I get why that is important to you. I super understand. But I also, like, 
Jughead has been a lot of other things to a lot of people, you know? So, like... And this is a CW show, <laughs> so there has to be relationship drama. Yeah. Right. There has to be relationship drama. There's no two ways about mm-hmm. that. That is sad to lose that particular representation. I know, yeah. Though, because it's so rare. Yeah, yeah. and the, um, the most important thing to me about Jughead is that he needs to be a distant observer. Oh, and he's definitely that. Mm-hmm. Well, he certainly self-stylizes is that in the canon of Riverdale. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, and they're doing a good job of he was brought in closer to the inner circle in season one, but they've they've already clearly planted the seeds of some more isolation to come. So His plans ideally should be divorced from what they have go- going on and romance shouldn't be as important to him as his other stuff. But who knows if that's yeah. even possible on a CW show. Yeah, that's true. Well, we at least see that romance is in conflict with his other stuff almost immediately this season, right. which, is, which is probably good. Yeah. My only issue is I still really don't buy the relationship that much. I still don't. Oh, I hate it. I don't yeah. feel the chemistry between them at all. I never have. But it's like, but I love, and I've always loved his relationship with Betty. They're always really good friends. Uh, but I I don't think it's going to last, and I never thought it was. Yeah. I will say I also don't see the chemistry between them. There was more sexual chemistry between Cheryl and Betty in season one. But uh, I think that conceptually, I understand the relationship as a thing that would start and then go wrong and end. Yeah, <laughs> well, totally, totally. Which is why and, I think they did it, right? Right. I, I, I feel like that's where we're going. Like, and having not seen far into this season, that's how I feel we're the, going. They're definitely laying a lot of groundwork with the whole like north side versus south side conflict and how like yeah their families don't really see eye to eye on that sort of stuff i can see that they're sowing those seeds yeah but i also kind of wish that the relationship hadn't escaped the first season yeah me too but uh but we'll talk more about this i think when we get to episode two and get to talk about the school right oh yeah to say yeah in the hospital cheryl goes positively biblical on her mother yes Oh, thank God, too, right? At least I loved I, this. I fucking loved the as as probably, I mean, well, maybe you can challenge me for my throne here, but as the main Cheryl apologist of this podcast, I- Oh, uh, I was super I, Cheryl did that. nothing wrong. <laughs> I more or less held a lighter aloft and swayed slowly back and forth in tears yeah. during this scene. Yeah, I loved this uh, so much. It, it was real good. She fucking owns her mom now. And it's great because fuck Penelope, probably actually worst mother in a show that is almost about moms that are shitty at being moms. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, so crazy that there's a mom on this show who's a worse mom than Alice Cooper. (laughs) Yeah. Or even worse than Hermione. Like, like if it was just Alice, it would still be impressive. (laughs) And then Penelope's worse than that. Oh, that's very funny. A bad mom competition. Like, like like Penelope's idea of parenting is growing a long, strokeable mustache and chaining Cheryl to railroad tracks. That's what she thinks being a mom is. Yes, it's it was very, very it, cool it, to watch Cheryl just be like, okay, abuser, I am done with this shit. Yeah. Um, Our power dynamic has completely flipped and you're fucked. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely here for that. Um, That is something that I have appreciated about the show overall is they've been pretty willing to like look at people who are engaging in abuse and just have the the victim stick it to them. And that's really satisfying. Yeah, the attitude of this show is not ignore your bullies and they will get bored with you, which is the worst advice. This one, like when Betty does the opposite of that, that's my favorite Betty. Uh, which we'll get to more of later, too. Uh, <laughs> you mean the hashtag Dark Betty? Archie reveals that he is ashamed of having been scared of having a psycho press a gun to his head, which I feel, Archie, that you're being a little hard on yourself. Oh, Archie. Toxic masculinity is um, a thing, my dude. Yeah, for It real. is a thing that just keeps being a thing in this season. <laughs> <sighs> Archie. Archie is yeah. such a... Just... He is a good, dumb, dumb, good guy. <laughs> oh, he's such a goob. I I love how almost instantly everyone is like, hey, buddy, that's a problem that other people have, and maybe you should get 
that scene to. And maybe you're allowed to have that problem. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he like doesn't he doesn't listen to anybody about it at all. I think he has a I think he has a terminal case of having Fred Andrews for a dad. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like literally having a perfect messianic figure as your father might give you some unrealistic expectations for your own self, you know? That's fair. It's just like, damn, you do have a really supportive friend group, and they're all like, dude, therapy, and just yeah. nothing. Well, and- I feel like Fred went through this as a teenager, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to lie. That's one of the most simultaneously frustrating and satisfying thing about teen dramas is like look everybody loves you everyone's here for you they're willing to support you through something that's very difficult you can do therapy that'd be good for you and then boy he's just a 15 year old boy yeah he's just gonna do that thing he sure is what a mess what a mess archie's such a mess (laughs) all the time (laughs) <laughs> all the fucking time yep he's very it's difficult true. to like he's so that's how much of a mess he is i um, i don't know i i like him oh i'm glad i'm glad you guys the do narrative the narrative forces that he exerts on the show are very good for the show yes they are and usually you don't have he is exerting the kind of force on the conflict that protagonists very rarely do that and it's point. super refreshing to watch uh, for me. He is a goddamn mess, but they do like I feel like this is actually like a sneaky good thing that they do in this show. The person who is just this hot mess who constantly contributes to the conflict, the essential core goodness shines through so strongly that you know that he is truly good underneath all the damage and all the teen angst, and so you can tolerate it more than you could if it was a character who was not obviously an inchoate paragon of goodness. Right. Well, uh, right. And I so think... they, they managed to get your like main character to just shit up everything, <laughs> and you don't yep. hate him. Maybe he's not your favorite character, but you know that he's going to keep trying to be good. Uh, I feel like this is actually a very smart writing decision. Yeah. I think at this point there's only been one point where i've been taken to the point of incredulity the fucking party episode yeah the party episode where he's (laughs) like yeah sure jughead i've known you all my life and i i know how difficult this is for you but how about we throw a rager yeah (laughs) yeah listeners you'll have to go back through our archive and tell what i suspect maybe was that the one we said was the worst episode of riverdale i think so yeah yeah, because we also we also broke Cheryl's character and had her cross a moral Rubicon. Oh yeah, uh, letting letting date rapist into the party. Oh like, boy, for the she sake of hurting have, people's yeah. feelings. Yeah, I mean she is a chaos monster, but but not that bad. We no, did have her victim blaming uh, Ethel earlier on too, but like I feel like we sort of taught Cheryl a bit of a lesson, and she abandoned that lesson a few episodes later just to amp up the conflict. I mean, okay, for as smart. A thing they do with the writing of Archie for the conflict, they definitely are not even hesitant at all about breaking characters to make conflict uh, no. more intense in the oh, show. Like, God, it just no. happens all the time. That was a hell of a tangent. <laughs> yeah, sure was. Cheryl talks to Archie as though she has superpowers. Okay. She has given Fred the kiss of life because Cheryl needs help still from season one and she's not going to get it and think, I feel like she's going to go to weird places now. Sure, but sometimes sometimes I think she might just be supernatural. That's the thing. Well, sure. But like Sabrina's yeah. right there and we, the way she talks about things and the way she calls the... When, she, when we see Jason, I'm like, but is that a ghost? And <laughs> I'm, that, stick with me. And when she calls no, no, the, I... when she talks about her nana, and when she calls the diner cursed, when she does this stuff, I'm like, okay, but what if she just has magic powers? It's possible. This is a universe with magic in it. We have talked already about how excited we are for the potential of a Sabrina show. Imagine that excitement gaining a large exponent. If Cheryl is also on that show. I'm just saying with the overwrought, incredible, gothic themes of the Blossom family, I would not put it past her. I would not put it past her to have some sort of magical powers. (laughs) I also wouldn't put it past the writers to 
just go to town and let Cheryl be a regular human being with <laughs> no, of a course. strange knack for these things. <laughs> that's but what makes more sense. <laughs> I'm hoping that that's in the back pocket. That would be wonderful. That's no, like, I mean, I don't. And maybe her family's been shielding do her it from when they it. run out of other stuff. <laughs> yeah, it would just make me very happy if Sabrina gets there and is like, "Oh, do you want to join my coven?" And I'd be like, "Yes, thank you." Oh my god, that's all I've ever wanted. Except Cheryl is already a member of a rival chaos coven. Ah! Oh god, no. I mean, yeah. Um, uh, oh, the witch fashions are going to be so good. Just based on Veronica's outfit been a good in the first case. episode, where that she's dressed cape. exactly like a goddamn witch with that. F- Frickin' cloak. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Yep. I tweeted, Kat, are you responsible for this? <laughs> <laughs> when I when I first watched the first episode. <laughs> they consulted me specifically. What would you like to um, see Veronica Lodge wear? <laughs> I mean, if they had, the episode would not have substantially changed, I don't think. I don't like, think so. Yeah. Um, Archie finally gets around to stopping the self-recriminations and just loves his dad. Fred dreams of dead people. And his wife winking, which she's not dead, so I don't know what that was about. But they're at Archie and Veronica's wedding, and Jughead is wearing the crown beanie as best man at a wedding. What a trash man. In the dream, Fred throws himself in front of a bullet for Archie, sort of confirming my earlier theory that he was dreaming about self-sacrifice and putting others first and taking care of people and being there for them and all that shit. Archie swears to protect Fred. Fred, now awoken, swears to protect Archie, and they have a paladin good off at one another that presumably ends in hugs and noogies. <laughs> Betty decides that she is going to support Jughead in his exploration of his bad boy side and uh, this way of keeping his dad close. And I just remembered that he scratched a crown shaped thing on his motorcycle helmet, and that's fucking amazing. Oh, so yeah. Cute. I that earlier. Turns out. The serpents were torturing a dude inside Jughead's trailer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, shit. The street gang, they're, they're a gang. They're a real street gang. Well, Oops. <laughs> I love the characterization of the serpents in as much as they're willing to go to some really extreme lengths, but then they will not deal in anything harder than marijuana. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I love them. They're 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 they the good street gang. Beat people to a pulp and hide bodies, but <laughs> drugs are bad. But only Mary yeah. Jane. No, yeah. Well, you know, only drugs that aren't bad for you. I mean, but also at the same time, they're never gonna sell meth. No, those bikers, those good biker boys with their Bram Stoker novella themed bar. <laughs> and also on the other side of the serpent coin, they are theater layabouts for hire like they will go (laughs) and they will just hang around your theater to get it closed so i can imagine those people not wanting to sell hard drugs yeah that's fair Hiram is finally home making good on i think maybe a million lines of foreshadowing dialogue in season one and guys he's hot god he's so hot oh he's so hot (laughs) (laughs) which i guess is not surprising i mean i mean the lodge family (laughs) is incredibly, yeah. unbelievably attractive. They're like, so fine. They don't it's belong on this planet. That's, yeah. I I grew up with Hiram being <laughs> this very old white man with a mustache. And like... <laughs> <laughs> so that was probably a bit of a shock. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he has tattoos. Like, oh, I'm dying. Yeah, it, it was a problem. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Bit of a head spin. Yes, Hiram fucks. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, it was just like, no, what did you do to me? Don't do this. Don't make the villain of, of Riverdale of Art. Don't make the villain of Archie Comics this hot. I'm not going to be able to deal with this, please. Yeah. There's a very, very low quota for not obscenely hot people in this show. Yeah. And, uh. That character didn't make the cut. Mark Consuelos is not fair. Veronica deploys some weapons-grade snark over an on-the-nose music cue about starting a war. (laughs) (sighs) The music cues in this show are either so on-the-nose or so dissonant, which I will get to in (laughs) episode two. Uh, Yeah, I think we maybe all will. Uh, (laughs) And speaking of really weird music cues... 
we get our, and it looks like a return to form for Riverdale, where we do a season arc stinger at the end of an episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get the same dude who shot Fred straight murdering Miss Grundy. And anyone notice the music they used? Uh, don't remember off the top of my head, but don't it's remember. been a minute. It's the theme from Rosemary's Baby. Oh, uh, well, that would have flown mm. over my head anyway. Yeah. I don't know what the point of that is. There isn't anything Rosemary's Baby-ish about. Oh, my God. I just realized what it was, and it's so bad. Do tell. Mrs. Miss Grundy, pedophile, yeah. is murdered to the tune of the theme of a Roman Polanski movie. Mm, okay. That's... layers within layers with this show i i (laughs) that is i don't know if it's intentional that that has to be roberto aguirre sacasa calling out roman polanski is what that's yeah that's what what, that's what just happened he he makes all these references not on accident yeah he's a reference man that's interesting he he is a you know big league reference man so that happens and that ends our episode yes it was satisfying yeah, uh, um, I know yeah. that traditionally one is only to speak good of the dead, so Miss Grundy is dead. Good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good. Um, <laughs> Very good. Uh, also, it took place in Greendale, where Sabrina's fa- from. That's oh. right. That is goddamn right. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, I also do want to... It's so weird because Greendale is st- established as being very close. Yes. Very, very mm-hmm. close. Well, I so mean, like, yeah, it's supposed to be close. It's um, just crazy to me that the child predator goes five minutes down the street and like yeah. picks back up. She fucking We know s- how shit the cops are. Yeah. Well, she also wasn't reported or anything. I mean. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, indeed. I mean. It's not like this town doesn't have problems, as our killer has noticed. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll get to that. But yeah. that that's our episode, mm-hmm. A Kiss Before Dying. I think it's time for River Do's and River Don'ts. Oh, yes. Kat, want to start us off doing the honors, since you are our, our new and esteemed co-host on the uh, River Do's and River Don'ts podcast? River Do's. Oh, fuck, there's... Three of us now. Can you do snake order with three people? What was snake and I just re- order? Like where one person, the first person oh, does one yeah, and then and someone then you, does two. I, got, blah, blah, blah. Gotcha. I don't know. Can you do that with three people? Because also I just realized we missed the opportunity to call that serpent order for the whole fucking first guys, season, Quinn. Guys. Uh, oh, how sad. I don't think we had hit. I don't think we had hit the serpents by the yeah, time we started for... calling it that. Yeah. It also took us half a season to settle on weekly weird. As opposed to yeah, that's true. this segment here at the end. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Um, so we've talked about a lot of like, just in doing the recap, we've talked about a lot of stuff that uh, material would have been um, potential favorite stuff. So I'm going to go with like a small detail, um, a fashion centric thing. At one point, Juggy was wearing an S shirt. And I really like when he wears... S shirts. It makes me very excited because I don't know. He wears them all the time in the comics. And I've always wanted one. And like I've made myself a bunch of them over the years. And it was cool how they did it. It it they just did like a t shirt with a with a like a, a stupid letter block S that was vintage. And um mm. it was just when he was writing in the diner at one point. Um and I was like, Oh, that's a cool way to update it. That doesn't look that shitty. That that's a good way to do his his iconic look. Good job, Riverdale. Yeah. Good. S- and solid I feel like this up. is another great thing that you're going to bring to this show, Cat. Is that you can actually appreciate when they do homage to the comics in ways that are not completely goddamn obvious. Right. Like, you're gonna you're gonna be able to point out good things that the show is doing that we would have just missed. Uh, I don't know if this is that's gonna be good, but it's something <laughs> that I'll do. Um, well, uh, another I mean, one it's that they Riverdale. did. It doesn't have to be good. Sure. <laughs> um, something else that they did that I was like, oh, that's interesting. But it's not like my river do. But I I definitely was like. Oh, fascinating was um the comic shop at the beginning 
was called MLJ Comics, and that is after the creators of Archie Comics. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, and it it was interestingly like after their first names, after Morris, Lewis, and John, instead of like after their last names or anything. And it's just like, huh? Oh, wow. Yeah, what a what a weird way to do it. But it was cute. It was just like um, and like the logo of the comic shop was really like catchy and poppy it was a beautifully done logo so i like a lot of those sorts of details so that's um i i care about fashion and logos <laughs> we're gonna find a lot of me going yeah. oh i really like how the register looked um a crucial perspective yeah. uh, to, <laughs> to, to bring in at least certainly an absent one yeah. uh from from my analysis of this show cool so that's me quinn i've spoken too much on this podcast all right ahead. okay so we have touched on my Riverdew already, as tends to be the case when we get very, very thorough in our synopses. My Riverdew this week is gonna go to Cheryl Blossom for just giving Penelope the business. <laughs> that was very, very satisfying. And, I mean, everything about Cheryl in this episode is actually very good. Um, Just that unerring confidence in telling what is so obviously a lie about what happened. <laughs> And then the way she just, yeah, completely works over Penelope is so satisfying. Watching that dynamic shift, it felt very good. Glorious. It felt very, yeah, very good. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my runner-up for, for Riverdue for this week. So. I love just her grabbing the air and holding yeah. it. That was so good. Mm -hmm. uh, my Riverdue, unsurprisingly, centers on one of the very, very few characters in this show that I like more than Cheryl Blossom, mm -hmm. and that is Fred Andrews. Yeah, I figured. I have a enormous weak spot for dads in this show. Uh, <laughs> the the weak spot shifts depending on what dad. But Fred is shot by a murdering psychopath, and what he dreams about isn't a like pain or fear of death or anything like that. He dreams about how bad it would be to not be there for his son, and he's jumping in front of bullets in his dreams on his deathbed to protect his son and his friends. Fred Andrews is very good, and that just got me, as good dad things will continue to emotionally devastate me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So they just really took that to maybe even at an even higher level than they already had. So you, you have both Fred Andrews' perfect father and Fred Andrews' Marxist hero. He hits a lot of buttons for me. <laughs> Uh, so that's certainly my Riverdue. I, I was like, oh my God, he's even dreaming selflessly on his deathbed. Mm -hmm. River don'ts. Indeed. I guess I can start off River don'ts then. Cool. Uh, okay, we're, we're, we're getting wild. Yeah, right? just, just <laughs> looping all around. So my River don't is something I have mixed feelings about, actually. Because on the one hand, I'm glad that this is like definitively done. On the other hand, I would have been happy never, ever, 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 ever seeing Miss Grundy again in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Like, that was a real big stumbling block getting into the show initially. It was very, very squicky. And it seems like the writers noticed. Yes, they did. And so I'm glad that they sort of hung a lampshade on that in that respect. But on the other hand, it was like a 30-second cameo, and ooh, I don't like her. I really, really yeah. don't. I feel like because of the decision that they made in season one to just kind of let her go, I prefer that this scene exists, even though seeing her fucking face is, is gross. Um, mm -hmm. Right. But the way they left it with her just out there still doing this. Well, I'm granted, glad that they at least tied that off. Yes, because the last shot we got of her last season was her giving like an incredibly leering look at a young boy on a jog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, yuck. Which, gross, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to know that she's... It's very satisfying that she's dead. Yeah. Yes. Which is why I have such mixed feelings. Yeah, no, I, I think yeah. the mixed feelings are very fair, because you're right, it was a lot of her. And it was her doing her thing, too. Right. It wasn't just her hanging out. Yeah. It was her being a goddamn monster. Yeah. Again. Or rather, still. It's not like she ever stopped. Yeah. Yep. Ugh. So that's me. My River Don't is very brief in the show, but the implications are kind of unpleasant. We kind of get Betty intimating to Jughead that she's concerned that Jughead's foster family are going to seduce him into crime because of where their house is. Yeah. Um, Betty. 
you got a little Alice on you. I've been with saying this, this class since... warfare nonsense. Mm-hmm. I've been saying this since last season, but the framing of Northside as Riverdale and Southside as Other is a consistent bother to me. Because as I understand it, the south side of Riverdale is still Riverdale. Definitely still Riverdale. But it is actively... The south side of Riverdale needs to seize the means of production, is my reading of this show. (laughs) Yes. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. South side, please rise up. Please, because anytime you get people from the north side talking about Riverdale, it's there's Riverdale and then there's the south side. And that bugs the crap out of me. It's bad. Stop being such classist jerks. Yeah, I mean, the serpents are the black block that safeguards the proletariat in this show. I mean, okay, I'm going to try not to be this, Rob. But the gross class hypocrisy, like, well, I'm in love with someone from there, but anyone else is probably just a fucking criminal. Didn't like that. Did not like that. Yeah. Betty is probably the character that I have the most extremely different reactions to episode by episode because sometimes she does stuff that I love so much that I have to like jump up and down and then sometimes she does this. Well, I think there's good reason for that. I think Betty like really, Betty and Archie, I think exemplify Riverdale the most. Fair. Like the town structure itself very traditionally. Like Veronica and Jughead are made to be outsiders. Mm Mm-hmm. From two different, one from below and one from above. Yeah, that's somewhat. exactly how they're constructed. Um, mm-hmm. So we have like, yeah. So so we get like the shifting perspectives from them of what yeah. Riverdale is. And Riverdale is a town that we can both love and really hate because it fucking sucks. True. I do think, though, that as we mentioned before, like they handle that conflict with Archie quite well in the writing. Whereas I actually feel like the non-poly members of the Cooper family are the characters whose characterization are done the most genuine violence by the needs of the current conflict. That's interesting in because like y- you guys might be able to like Archie, but I can't stand him. And I, I like Betty, uh, her family's all of their, like I can, I can handle their violence. I can handle all of their shit a lot better, even though I am enraged by it. I, like, get it. Yeah, I I feel like uh, Alice and Betty in particular often just shift in their characterizations to suit the needs of the scene that they're in. I think that's true. Uh, Um, More than a lot of other characters. I mean, almost every character sometimes does a little in this show, but I feel like the Cooper women end up carrying that burden more than a lot of characters do. But I think Archie does too. Whereas like you like Archie it is established that he is a good person and Betty it is established that she has mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So they have excuses to facilitate their shifts. Mm-hmm. You know, Archie it's like yeah. he's a good boy and he's stupid. <laughs> and, yeah, he's fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that is really defining about his character he's just not no he's just not smart not a smart again, boy he is a good dumb dumb good guy yeah yeah which for me i can't fucking stand i hate that guy whereas like <laughs> sure. betty i'm like oh she's a smart girl she's just got a lot of problems and oh, comes sure. from I... a position of privilege and i need her to learn and get her shit together you know i like betty as a character more than i like archie as a character yeah, yeah. i just Agreed. i just find her characterization in the writing to be grading more, yeah 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 uh, more mercurial to suit what i feel are like in the moment needs of the right conflict. no i get it it's yeah. just that like um i think that she's they a do... better character than archie <laughs> sure. but I, fe- I feel like i feel like the the writing does her fewer favors sure sure i guess it's just that like i think they do the same thing with archie it, it it's just that like they have different ways of suiting it and maybe we forgive his stuff more because he's so dumb yeah that's entirely I think possible that's fair and like i said it's already been brought up that that party episode, Archie just completely. Uh, fuck you, Archie. Right. That, but like, oh, yeah. but he's Although also. That, that episode, God. I, I think that it didn't <laughs> bother me as much there because I'm coming from a comics place where Archie is, to me, defined in part by his selfishness. Oh, interesting. interesting. Which is very different from this show. Well, like, he loves his friends and he will do anything for, for them, but he's a selfish dude. He. I don't know. Well, and. Uh. 
there's shades of that in Riverdale. It's just not he, as yeah. maybe front and center because his whole music thing was super selfish. Yes, I think of him as an like, extremely selfish person. The way he treated Val in their relationship was incredibly selfish. He like kind of used her and then neglected her and then yep. she's like, oh, actually screw this. Yeah, like he does love his friends and when he's made aware of it, he will do anything for them. And that's like why Jughead, his best friend, loves him, you know, but he also is a selfish piece of shit. <laughs> he's very self-centered. I don't know. Archie, Archie is not my favorite. He's not the reason I read these comics. And it always baffles me that everyone is so obsessed with him in these comics. Because, like, everyone is, you know, that he's it's Jughead's favorite character. Like, Jughead is the reason I read these comics. Uh, well, Jughead's good. Yeah, he's a good boy. But, you know, they're called Archie. It's about Archie. And <laughs> there's this, this dumb guy getting into scrapes and getting excited about stuff and moving the plot along. What an interesting guy. Cool, cool. So that was your River Don't. I think mine is uh, Sheriff Keller being like very adamant that it's like it's probably just some the killer is probably just some dude that was high on X blah, 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 blah. High on what was it? Meth or Jingle Jangle and like ignoring them and shutting things down and not being a good policeman again and showing once again the institutional failures of Riverdale I think that's what it is because it's like setting up a lot of the conflicts that we will see oh yeah moving forward that it's a good that's a good Riverdale and a piece of evidence to its credit I think actually is that I was so used to him being a shit cop that I fucking didn't even like notice it didn't even ping my radar yeah I'm just hmm that it's just like there's no reason to be like that no there's really not he just like decided what this case was and then didn't take anything else yeah yeah it's It's just like very shoddy police work it's very shoddy police work there you just had a huge murder there's uh, freddie andrews is like a big deal in town you had two witnesses there is no reason to be like this. I know that you are in the po- like pocket of a bunch of people, but w- what the actual fuck? Um, and uh, It's blatantly irresponsible. It is a danger to the public. Yes, it is. And it's also going to like, in the next few episodes, we are going to see things of Archie running up to the sheriff being like, I want to go on ride-alongs with you, which is like, that's not how anything fucking works. Um no (laughs) but like they live in a town where shit like that happens in part because of how weirdly stuff runs in your police station um and all 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 of this institutional stuff just doesn't make any fucking sense no it let's not forget that this is the man who kept the murder board for an ongoing investigation in his private home jesus yes that happened uh i'm yeah i'm upset I'm upset that this doesn't function well. Uh, Agreed. You you make a very, very good point. (laughs) Like, I do. I really, I really like Kevin Keller's dad. Oh, yeah. No, he just needs a different job. Right. But he's a bad cop. He's a bad cop. And, And I don't just think it's him. You know, I think it is something about the institution of the institutions of Riverdale. Something is bad here. I'm yeah. inclined to agree with you. I mean, it's not as if the mayor's office isn't a horrible trash fire. Yeah. So that is my my river don't. Which brings us to weekly weirds. Rob, I think you should start with us. That way each of us will have started one thing. And I need to close a window real quick. So I'm going to do that because the airplanes are flying now. Ooh. <coughs> one sec. Oh, no. That's a lot of coughs. Oh, buddy. Yeah. I just realized I'm not Aquaman. Oh, no. <clears throat> I can't breathe the water. Uh, even though Rich Howard says I look like Jason Momoa, which is probably the nicest thing that a person has ever said to me. Um, okay. Weekly Weird. My favorite part of this podcast, I think, besides the tangents. Now that we've got Cat, I think the tangents are my favorite part. <laughs> so right at the top of the episode, we get hit with my Weekly Weird within seconds. Uh <laughs> The fucking immediate omniscient, this is what's happening this exact moment, 
style of the narration that Jughead opens the season with is inexplicable to me. It's nothing like anything that we've done previously in the show. Maybe that alone wouldn't be enough to put this on my weekly weird. But we also have this goddamn bizarre line reading from Cole Sprouse that sounds like he just got really, really hype about being back on Riverdale again and then suddenly remembered that he's talking about something really grave and serious and reined it in and they just kept that tank. Like... He seems, like, really excited. Like, oh my god, this is so cool. Oh, wait, no, but, like, I should be really upset about this. Rather, uh, this isn't a good thing. And they just kept that take. And it sounded just, it sounded so weird. It took me out of the story right at the very, very beginning in a really weird kind of funny way. And then we switch back to, like, him talking as though he's a character in the show (laughs) rather than an omniscient narrator uh, who's really, really excited to be back at work. Oh, <laughs> Guys, so that's my weekly weird. Sometimes you gotta take good. another pass at that script. Ah, <laughs> uh, beautiful. Okay. So then it's me. Yeah. Uh, mine's Jingle Jangle. <laughs> I didn't notice that until episode two, and uh, when I did, it was bananas. <laughs> no. And I noticed and paused and we're like, what the fuck is Jingle Jangle? <laughs> that stone-faced, serious delivery of it, too. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's reasonable that it didn't hit your registry because, like, what the fuck? And he, like, yeah, he, like, delivered it like it was no problem. Yeah, you know, Jingle Jangle, <laughs> the thing we all know about. He delivered it like he's... Uh, <laughs> Like he was, These are two words that humans say. Like he was iced tea, you know, just, like, <laughs> just getting through that SVU script. Like, <laughs> 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 uh, fucking jingle jangle. Oh my god. Okay, so I was like, okay, I need to know what the fuck is jingle jangle? What Archie reference is this? And it is one. What? Uh, yes. No. Um, Good lord. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this. Uh, Okay, so it's, um, but it's not like a drug. It's uh, the name of a song by the Archies from a, uh, from their cartoon show. Uh, It was like a psychedelic uh, song that they, that they put out a music video for that got popular at the time. So um, they're just like, probably people were doing drugs to this sort of thing. That's Sakasa the deal. must be stopped. It's uh, it's oh. a lot. It's a fuck ton. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow! What? Wow, cat, uh, you managed to escalate on that turn of phrase in a way I'd never heard before, and like genuinely tickled mm. me. Um. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! <laughs> jingle jangle. Yeah, I I it flew under my radar here, but. God. No, I really, really love uh, Law and Order. Uh, I and I, I uh, follow multiple tumblers that keep track of all of the drugs that they make up in that show. Good, good. There's. <sighs> I like made up drugs. They're funny. Made up drugs are really funny. They're <laughs> really funny. Because, <laughs> look, I'm not into drug culture. No. But even I know those are bad names. <laughs> yeah. They really are. Uh, and this is a what? very, very funny bad name. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and if you like it, good news. <laughs> <laughs> we we get a shit ton more of watching people oh, say the word jingle this... jangle with a straight face. Yeah, there's so many a serious lines about jingle two. jangle. Oh, uh, like, it's it's not going to stop. It's never going to stop. And that's why this is a good show. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. That's what makes this a good show. Yes, Jing- you jingle jingle. might as well call your drug ham shoes. It's so <laughs> bad. <laughs> and here I thought KJ Appa's personal trainer was what made this show good. Uh, I stand look, corrected. I mean, bless him. He's clearly like pounding out push-ups between scenes. <laughs> and you're, you see that really, really big in episode two. Off. Yeah. When he's like holding the baseball bat, sitting sleeplessly, oh, shoot, yeah, with all of his like, all of his muscles just like bulging the hell out. I'll be in my bunk. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn, um, what's your weekly weird? My weekly weird is actually arguably the thematic through line of this episode, mm. and 
Something about Weekly Weird that I appreciate is sometimes it is the things that make you just like completely scratch your head, like Jingle Jangle, like the fact that in the first episode, they just had these giant rolled like scrolls of dead Jason Blossom over the homecoming dance. (laughs) Um, But also... Leave room for Jason. Leave room for Jason, please. (laughs) But there's also some of the things that genuinely endear me to the show stylistically that can go in here. And the dream sequences are my weekly weird. Like it was a kind of conceptual thing they went with some of the sequences were very very strange but i thought that it did a lot of really good stuff to actually help characterize fred um yeah while also being that sort of like loosey-goosey very vibrant um broad strokes thing that is riverdale so i i liked that a lot i thought that it was stylistically very very appealing but also those were freaking those were very very strange sequences I realized another amazing thing because now I'm on this. Okay. I didn't know anything about Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa until recently. Basically, okay, he's in charge of Archie Comics. He also oversaw the remake of Carrie and the metatextual sequel to The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And now that I know that he's doing all these horror movie references, I have this whole vista opened to me. Because that's kind of my thing. And I realize now that when Cheryl was trying to drown herself in the Sweetwater River, a dead boy named Jason appeared to her and tried to pull her down into her watery grave. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to point that out. Um, man. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's, Rob's gourd. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like scanners over here. Uh, I'm going to need a mop. Yeah, and we're going to get into even more metatextual weird horror movie stuff in later episodes. So, well, that was super fun. Yeah. We'll see you all next week for Chapter 15, Nighthawks. 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 <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs>